Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and we are joined, always exciting, for our, uh, we're going to start calling it, uh, Scott, Stats Friday, because you're the you're the stats guy. Scott Lizakowski, head of uh, Canadian Equity at Phillips Hager and North uh, Investment Management, or Asset Management. Scott, how you doing? Great, Dave. How you doing? Good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing better, and uh, we're, we're just kind of laughing, because... Uh, we, 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 we always have a little pre-conversation before we, uh, we, we, we tape the podcast. And Scott always brings um, all kinds of stats, so he's worried about getting uh, typecast as the stat guy. But, uh, but, but you are kind of the stat guy, Scott. Yeah, maybe, maybe stats on Friday is not a good, not a good combo. We've we got to kind of ease into the weekend. We can't go too numbers heavy on a, on a Friday. Yeah, but, but it's always good stuff. And you, you've got some, uh, you got some more great stuff today. And, uh, and actually, we'll go back, we're going to go back and revisit uh, maybe your first appearance in 2022 uh, on, uh, as, as we get towards the end. But, but what, what I really wanted to get you on for today, uh, and, uh, and, and again, here's an example of how stats work. Uh, the, the last time we had you on, and we, we often come to you to, to, to talk about, uh, you know, your expertise is in Canada. So that means you've got to have a pretty good handle on what's going on in energy commodity markets. And you'd, uh, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd put forward on the last podcast that you thought you might see some near-term weakness in commodity prices, particularly uh, the energy complex. And sure enough, we're sitting here today with, uh, with oil actually just a touch below $72 a barrel, which is a pretty significant pullback. And uh, per our discussion, we're, we're actually now down in the price of oil on, on the year. And so... So Scott, you, you 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 speculated this might this might occur. Um, what's happening? What's driving the, the 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 price of energy lower? And then if you look at it from you know from from the actual stocks, and then you, you translate it into the Canadian market, which has that significant weighting in these kind of stocks. What uh, what does it mean for the Canadian market? Yeah, I mean, as a as a Canadian equity portfolio manager, you have to have an awareness around the commodity markets and where things are going. Uh, but I'll say our ability to predict, you know, the direction of, yeah. of where commodities are going is, is not great. So if I was on recently predicting a, a correction in oil, I, I guess I'm, I must have just been lucky. But I think, you know, when we're thinking about the commodity markets, even though you can't predict the future, you have to be able to think in, in scenarios. And and the, the, the current environment is a bit challenging because I think you really have to separate the two timeframes. I think I might have talked about this last time we had this term, you know, parsing the timeframes that. You know, in the shorter term, you know, the dynamics that may play out in the shorter medium term are quite different than the things that are happening over the longer term. But you have to understand both because, you know, the stock market is, is sort of it, it looks forward, but it's sort of adjusting its, its scenarios on a, on a daily basis. In commodities, the, and this applies to oil, but it's sort of a general uh, trend throughout all the all the commodities is that in the near term. You have the market thinking about the economic situation. Well, you know, are we heading into a recession? Are we into an economic slowdown? And you know, as we know, that commodity demand is is highly economically sensitive. So, if you do head into a period of economic weakness, recession, slowdown, however you want to sort of capture it, uh, demand for commodities will weaken. So that's that sort of you know, I think that drives some of the near term weakness that we talked about. But over the longer term, you have a dynamic playing out where you know because of the you know. You know the commodity price volatility, and you know across all the commodities, where it's oil, natural gas, copper, etc. Um, 
you know, the, the producers of commodities have become much more disciplined in how they reinvest capital. And there's been increased demands about, you know, sustainability, not only from an environmental perspective, but also from just the shareholders want, want to get some returns and they want these companies to be more financially stable. So paying down debt's really important. And so across the board, you've seen this underinvestment in new supply, whether you're talking about oil or copper, um, and, and that's starting to sort of have some impacts that while we may see short-term weakness in the commodity price, um, you know, from an economic standpoint, the longer term sort of structural supply demand is being driven by, um, you know, this, this sort of lack of investment or underinvestment. So you might see a correction in commodity prices in the near term, but you could make the argument because of this lack of investment in new supply uh, that the longer term prices might be higher than what we've seen in the past. That, that's a, a tough uh, thing to sort of, uh, you know, express or observe in, in the markets. Um, one of the things we did see, you know, you mentioned the weakness in oil and, and, and we, you know, you, you follow the oil price and you look at all the, you know, whether it's the, you know, the spot price or the shape of the curve or the movement of the forward curve. But an interesting signal is looking at the stocks versus the commodity. And, and what we've seen, you know, we talked about oil is now down slightly year to date, but but energy stocks are up significantly. And there's a lot of things that are um, sort of driving that. And even if you look at a shorter time frame, you know, oil is corrected, you know, kind of $10 in the last couple of weeks even. But you've seen the oil stocks acting uh, somewhat better. So that you're seeing, you know, if you're looking for different signals of, you know, does the, you know, does the market sort of believe in this short term weakness or do they think it's something, you know, something in between? So it's, that's an interesting signal that we've been picking up on lately as well. Yeah, and, and for those of you who, uh, who, who who listen to the podcast regularly, you'll recall we had Scott on uh, about a year ago when the price of oil had spiked up to nearly $130 a barrel. And we were actually having a discussion about why the oil stocks hadn't followed the, that price higher, that they, they seemed stubbornly stuck, almost almost assuming a price of oil in the $80 to $90 range, even though the price had spiked up to, to $130. And and this is, I guess, the exact opposite phenomenon. The, the, the stocks are looking past where the current price is and saying, you know, the price could go lower in the near term, but as we look out as we look out over the next six months, you probably see the price stabilizing a little bit higher, and and that's where we should we should value these stocks. And just just like when it spiked higher, uh, you know, spiked up to 130, stocks were looking through there saying, you know, 130 is not sustainable. We're going to come down from there. Yeah, that's one of the big sort of when you look look back at the study history of, you know, oil stocks in the energy sector and how they behave they, at the at the sort of tops and bottoms of the cycle. They don't typically discount the sort of current environment in perpetuity. They definitely will go up and down with the commodity. But, you know, just like when we saw, you know, on the on the short term, very short term basis during the pandemic and oil actually went negative. Obviously, the stocks, you know, don't assume negative oil prices forever. But. Uh, they sort of look through that, but it is, and it's sort of what they're looking through too, because typically, and it's, I think we had talked about this earlier in the year, typically a price in the sort of, you know, before that big spike, we had prices in the $80 range, and that was typically a, a period uh, or a price signal that producers would add new production. And we didn't see that. So that goes, kind of goes back to that um, underinvestment in, in capital and bringing on new supply. But we have sort of observed recently and you know a lot of times we're looking at how the how the companies 
uh, act and and what their what their intentions are. And so for the last you know couple of years, the the, the oil producers, the big oil producers, have been very disciplined on capital and and they're returning shares uh, 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 cash flow to shareholders. Whether it's pay, debt, paying down debt, increasing dividends, paying special dividends, and so and being very disciplined, not adding new new supply. But what we're seeing, so this is more Canadian specific, but you know, a couple of the major oil companies have just put out their guidance for the for next year, and we are seeing an uptick in their capital spending. So they're still return. Their you know their balance sheets are very good. So you're not seeing this sort of undisciplined behavior, but you are seeing an incremental uh, investment in in uh, you know bringing on some new supply. It's not going to be the production growth in Canada that we witnessed over the last sort of decade. It's sort of going to be in the two, three, five percent, but it is on the margin increasing supply. And so that's sort of an interesting uh, data point, an interesting signal that we sort of pick up on and say, okay, they have been disciplined. They're not losing that discipline, but they are starting to spend money. There's, you know, obviously the part of that increased level of spend is going to go towards inflation. Inflation is everywhere. It's in the cost structure of, of commodity companies. So some of that increase in their capital spending is, is driven by inflation. Um, you have to spend more just to sort of keep things flat, but they are actually adding a little bit of growth as well, which is something we probably haven't seen in, in several years, particularly out of the Canadian company. So it is an interesting um, sort of data point that we're looking at on the margin. Yeah, and 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 so at at seventy two dollars a barrel, Scott. Uh, I mean, we, we've talked about uh, some of these companies in terms of with an elevated oil price, um, with the cash flow that they're generating with that elevated oil price, the extent to which they can buy back shares, they can uh, re- return, uh, pay dividends out to their shareholders, reinvest in in a transformation uh, to being you know uh, um, alternative energy or 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 net zero and, and, and getting to a, a new phase, the, the next wave, you know, beyond oil uh, as, as energy companies. Is, is $72 a barrel still a level that, that, that produces sufficient cash flow for them? Or, is the, or what's happened with inflation? Has, has that kind of changed that price and moved it higher? Well, 70 is still a reasonable price for in terms of cash flow generation. Uh, certainly not as much cash flow being generated at 70 than it was at uh, 100, but that's, that's an obvious um, I would say that, you know, your the, the cost structure, and I'm speaking mostly on the Canadian, big Canadian producers, the cost structure would be kind of all in on the around the $30 or $40 range, you know, sort of, uh, you know, maintaining existing production. Um, and I think a lot of companies have moved to more of a, a variable type dividend, or at least a, uh, a, a variable model that, okay, if they, you know, achieve certain debt targets, then uh, once they achieve those debt targets, then they can return more cash to shareholders and, and they're using it sort of on a percentage basis. And it's, it's been going up. Well, it'd be interesting to see how the market reacts to those uh, variable uh, return of capital to shareholders on the way down. But uh, I would say that on average, 70 is, is probably okay for them. It probably doesn't fund um, their entire energy transition. I think we uh, we did some analysis, and I think we shared it with a group. I won't go completely through it, but the industry probably needs to, you know, uh, be in the eighty dollar range to, you know, to sort of keep their production flat, handle inflation, uh, and and meet their net zero goals. Uh, it was interesting that in some of these, um, uh, you know, budget releases and and forward guidance, you know, the capital spending on it, like the big capital spending. Uh, 
for energy transition or uh, emission reduction net zero um, uh, objectives. It's not quite in the numbers just yet, so it's still we're still sort of working on the framework and the details of of how that's going to get uh, spent and evolve over time. So that's something that we're watching very closely. So that you know that increase in capital spending is not going towards uh, emission reductions or or not any significant. They are always working to reduce emissions, but uh, not a significant amount is going towards that. So still some work to be done. I'd say the 70, but you need, I think you'll need more if these companies are really going to sort of do all the things, you know, return capital to shareholders, reduce their emissions. So, uh, but we're right around that level where they, they would be sustainable longer term. Great. Well, that that's a, a terrific update on oil, and we'll 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 um, we'll get back to you next time and uh, and 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 check in and see where we where we go from here. But uh, we 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 were we were just re- refreshing. And again, if you go back to uh, it was a podcast in the first week of January of of this year, uh, we had Scott on, and and Scott was talking about uh, statistics uh, around the market, uh, both the TSX and S and P five hundred. And and what he was highlighting out of out of the, the calendar year 2021 was was what a remarkable year it was, not just in terms of the of the strength of the returns, but particularly around the lack of volatility in the markets. That it was it was a, it was a it was arguably the most or within the top two or three historically of years in terms of how little volatility there was day to day, month to month how small any kind of pullback in the market was throughout the year. And then what that would do is that typically is followed by a year that looks different, a whole regression to the mean, right? If you you have a, a remarkable year in terms of stability and strong returns, it's often followed by a year that is more volatile and not as strong. And now we can look back in the in the middle of December uh, of 2022 and see the difference between last year and this year. So, so what, what, what are the numbers as we, as we look at, uh, at, at this year, Scott? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, you know, obviously, uh, fascinated by the stock market and I love all this sort of the, the yeah. especially when you can look back over long periods of history and, and tease away, these are things that we sort of rely on. I, I, I don't have the ability to predict the future. So I need to <laughs> study history, you know, that, that saying, you know, history, history doesn't re- repeat, but it often rhymes. Um, so yeah, you're right. The, the intra-year volatility last year was quite low. I think our biggest intra-year drawdown in 2021 was six percent. The long-term average is 15, and that's a good thing to sort of keep in mind that when when markets are tough and volatile, people kind of get really caught up in the here and now. You have to remember volatility is normal, and and uh, you know uh, one of our personal favorites is you know volatility creates opportunity. So that's what we we look for that volatility actually because it creates a, a buying opportunity to get great companies that at good prices. So, um, so yeah, last year was a a very low year for volatility. Uh, and this year we're sort of making up for it. So, uh, I think, yeah, I said last year minus 6% was the biggest entry year draw drawdown. The long-term average is 15. So while the TSX is only down, you know, 6% year to date, our entry year, uh, the biggest entry year drawdown was about 18%. So that's greater than the long-term average, certainly a lot greater than what we saw last year. It's also, you know, it's like the 16th worst going back to 1980. So not the worst, but one of the worst. Um, And so that's uh, that's sort of an interesting uh, outcome. If you want to make ourselves feel better as Canadian investors, that the the S&P 500, uh, you know, it's down, um, you know, year to date, it's down, you know, like 17 percent or something like that. Just looking at my Bloomberg screen. But its intra-year drawdown is is you know 
a lot higher. I think it had a, a 25% uh, drawdown. That's its 11th worst, you know, since that's going back to the 50s. So uh, the drawdowns have been big and we've been somewhat shielded uh, north of the border. So again, when you have these significant events, what happens, you know, going forward? Um, it's a smaller sample set in Canada, but I'd say on average, the, the returns are sort of in the, the 10, 11%. Uh, which is slightly above the long-term average. I think the long-term average return for the TSX is about 7%. And the, the, the following year's drawdown sort of, again, reverts more to that average and you get slightly below that in the sort of 10 to 15% range. So hopefully that, that sets us up next year for uh, a decent return opportunity in this and, and, and maybe a slightly less uh, volatile year. And just um, to touch on another point of volatility, and this, this is, I don't know if this is comforting for people or not, but the number, the percentage of trading days that the TSX is, has been either up or down greater than 1% has been extremely high. The long-term average is about 35%. So a third of the time you'll get these big up or down days. This year it's 60%. So yeah. it, it, if people have been thinking this, is, this feels like a more volatile year, it's because it has. Uh, and again, if we want to feel slightly better about ourselves here in Canada, we can compare that to the U.S., where they've had 87% of the trading days so far this year have been uh, either up or down more than 1%. So it's been a it's been a bumpy ride, sort of intraday or intra year, but it's also been a bumpy ride uh, day to day. So I want to I don't want to sort of leave everybody on a on a sour note. The one thing to keep in mind is that December. Now this is getting very very short term focused, but I gotta gotta you know give some good news here. It's the heading into the holidays. December is, if you look back to the average sort of monthly performance going back to 1950, December is the best month of the year. Yeah. I think the long-term average is, is up 1.9% and the, it's, it's a positive return uh, over 80% of the time. So hopefully that means that we get the Santa Claus rally coming our way and we can uh, wrap up a volatile year on a, on a strong note. Yeah, just uh, the, 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 those stats are remarkable, and 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 again, I love I love the comment you made because for those for those people who are regular listeners to this podcast, um, one of the things that we're trying to highlight as we talk to investment professionals like yourself is this whole idea of where do we find opportunity, and a lot of times those opportunities are generated by that volatility or generated by pullbacks in markets that if you can keep the emotion out of it, do the math and look at it like a professional does, that volatility, those pullbacks create opportunities for you. And, and, and again, hopefully as you're listening to this, uh, whether you're an investor yourself or you're someone who advises other investors, uh, who, who are a lot of the listeners to, to, to this particular podcast, you, 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 you stay unemotional and you look to see where opportunities are generated by an unusual year of volatility or where risk could be created by a year that is a little calmer or a stronger year than before. And so all of the, all of the guests that we have on kind of come from that contrarian mindset. They're, they're, they're looking, you know, they, 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 they start to get interested when, when, when you see that volatility or downturn and they start to get a little skeptical when things move ahead a little bit too fast. And Scott, I, I know you've had a, a, a terrific year this year um, in terms of the portfolios that, uh, that you look at on a relative basis, of course, uh, because, of, uh, be, be, because you, you, you're always looking for those opportunities. 
and uh, and then again Canada, where where you uh, where you really ply your trade, ha- has had a relatively good year uh, versus the uh, versus the U.S. in particular. Yeah, yeah, volatility creates opportunity. I gotta write it on a sticky note and put it on my computer screen just to remind myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, you know, even even uh, even professionals as well can get uh, can get caught up in that and need to go back to uh, to basics. But I know I know how uh, how disciplined you are overall. So Scott, uh, fan- fantastic stuff. Uh, y- you know, it, it's it it it's it's great to 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 pull the actual numbers out be- because if you're watching the markets day to day as as we do and as many of the people who would listen to this podcast do. It has been remarkable to just to see the daily moves. It's actually it's very good for listenership on a podcast. If you've got a, if you're hosting an investment podcast, you pick up more listeners with a, with those kind of moves and it, and just day to day those big swings, particularly in the U.S. as you highlight. And to go back and and to actually look at the numbers and go, wow, that, that I, I wasn't just I, I wasn't just dreaming this. This is what was actually happening through the year. And so uh, so so hopefully again, all of this leads us uh, and and sets us up for. Uh, for, for a less volatile and perhaps a somewhat better year. Uh, we've had our drama for this year. That's good. Maybe, maybe 2023, a little, little, little calmer, right? Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it feels like a long year and the volatility has certainly added to that. So, uh, we're looking to sort of, uh, turn the, turn the page on this year and, and hopefully we get a little bit of more mean reversion on the, on, at least on the volatility front, uh, as we head into next year. Great. Well, Scott, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for all your, uh, your, your appearances this year. We're going to get you back in, uh, in early 2023 to kind of look forward and, 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 and see if we can, uh, get some, some ideas of, of what's going to happen in the, in the new year, but happy holidays to you and the family. And, and again, thanks for always being there. Great. Thanks, Dave. Have a great holiday. We'll see you in the new year. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc., for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.